I'm Zach Dunlap, pastor of Multisite at Birmingham and Berkeley First. Welcome to Church Focus, the new podcast where we interview folks from our church community about who they are and what God is doing in their lives. Throughout the Bible, people are encouraged to bear witness to what they have seen and heard. Continuing in that tradition, this podcast offers a forum for people to get to know one another and be inspired. Our hope is that the stories of these church folks empower you to share your stories, to inspire others, and to be a part of beloved community together. I am here today with Russ and Susan Ives. Russ, you're a third-generation CEO of Rose Pest Solutions. How does your faith impact the way you operate your business? You know, I think that, um, I think the way that I see life and the way that I live it serves as hopefully an example to the folks who work alongside me and have worked as a part of the business for so many years. I, um, we, um, we, we try to operate in an ethical manner. Now, many people would say that uh, you can be ethical without necessarily being Christian, uh, just a, a different set perhaps. But, um, but I, I do think that the way that we try to approach the way we work together, the way we try to approach our obligations to our clients, the um, the integrity with which we we operate all has a has a basis in what we believe, and um, you know, uh, my grandfather was a was a Baptist. My dad grew up a Baptist and married a, a Methodist minister's daughter, and so we've been um, Methodists ever since. But um, but I I do have not it's not unusual for me to have folks that I work alongside of say, you know, we, we appreciate the values that you bring to the business and, um, and all we can do is live it out. We can live it out and hope others will follow along. What advice would you give to others who are trying to live out their faith in the business world, whether they're business owners or employees or moving up the corporate ladder? Um, what does that look like? You know, I think ultimately it's hard for us to behave in ways that are not consistent with our faith. Um, and yet it is sometimes uh, we're, we're pressed in ways to uh, behave that seem to fit with what somebody else thinks we ought to be doing. And um, granted, we all like to be team players, uh, and I think ultimately we're not a good fit with what we're doing if it's not consistent with our own beliefs. So if we can, if we can get our faith and our work and the way that we live out that work and that faith in ways that fit together, we're ultimately more successful and we ultimately have better relationships with the people that we work with and provide better models for them. Um, that does not mean proselytizing, uh, but I think by the way we live, people know what we believe. Mm -hmm. And Sue, in what ways does your faith impact all the other various aspects of your life? Well, I kind of like to think 
to keep things simple in my life. And it's always gets down to the things that we learned in our faith, the treating people the way we would like to be treated, to see everyone have worth in their, uh, no matter who they are, no matter what their abilities or what their skills or what they look like. I think that has to um, kind of seep into everything you do. And sometimes it takes a little practice, a little work, but I like to be seen for what I am, warts and all, maybe, but uh, I like to give other people that that grace in, in their lives. And sometimes um, you find out things about people that you're glad you taught, you treated them well, or you've had thoughts about someone and then you find out something that they're struggling with and you want to give that little helping hand. But I do think your faith is who you are, or at least your value system is who you are. And basically the way you meet people in your lives, in your life. So. Mm. Now, you both have quite a history with the church. Did you meet at Birmingham first? Well, we did. Russ was a lifer. He was baptized in the sanctuary on Maple Road. Uh, my family moved here when I was going into ninth grade. We lived different places in the country with my dad's um, uh, career. And so that was not an easy time to to be moving with my three siblings, step-siblings, actually. And um, my mother had been brought up Southern Baptist. My dad, my stepdad had been uh, an Episcopalian. So naturally, we ended up Methodist. Kind of meeting in the middle in, yes. in Methodism. Yep. And so we, um, we came to the church then um, and right away got involved. Um, it was a, a wonderful church. And it turned out that Mr. Ives, Russ's dad, was the high school Sunday school teacher on Sunday mornings. So, and his sister was my age. So, you know, it was kind of a, you know, whole family affair, but we did meet there, but we didn't meet till I was a senior in high school and Russ had gone off to college. He had been gone for two years. So. Although we sang in choir together. Oh, okay. But we had a hundred kids in the youth choir uh, when, when we were in it and the tenors were, far back in the back row in the corner and the sopranos, especially the short sopranos were down in the front row, uh, on the, on the opposite side. And so we didn't really know each other at that time, even though we sang in the choir together. Um, but we met at a, at a party after a Christmas caroling with the youth group that, and the party was hosted at her house. And I had just gotten home from college for this for the Christmas break, and I had been very active in the youth group when I was in high school, and my sister said, "Come on over, you know you know a lot of people here and I came over and look what happened i I met my future wife well, the funny thing is I had not been invited in in uh very active in the youth group, but sure. I had been in choir, but my sister had, my sister Paige. And so she really had had the party scheduled at our house and I had helped get the food and everything ready. And I was going to go to a friend's house that night, but I thought, well, you know, I worked pretty hard getting this stuff set up. So maybe I'll stay a little while and lo and behold, <laughs> <laughs> well, look what happened. History. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. 
my parents actually met in church choir also, which is ironic because neither of them can carry a tune in a bucket. But uh, um, it's amazing what God brings together. And uh, I'm so glad that you have met and uh, have really built your your lives and your family um, as a part of this church. Um, Sue, you mentioned that that Russ was was baptized at Birmingham first on Maple. If memory serves me correct, you were the first or one of the first children baptized in the current Birmingham first as sanctuary. As, as far as we can tell, that's the, that's the case. Um, the um, uh, the congregation moved to uh, the West Maple building uh, in August, I believe, of 1952. I was born in August. Um, the church was dedicated. The building was dedicated in October. My grandfather at the time was the bishop for Michigan, and he was there to uh, to uh, uh, dedicate the church. And while he was there, he had a grandson that he could baptize. So when I was two months old, I was baptized right there. So as far as we know, uh, and I haven't ever heard anyone say it was different, but does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. It is just that, <laughs> that all my life I've, I've been uh, associated with this church. That's pretty cool. What was it like growing up with a, a grandpa who was a bishop? I mean, I know, you know, a lot of pastor's kids have different experiences. Some of them grow up to, to love the church and be super involved in the life of the church. Others grow up and totally hate and reject the church. Um, is that experience somewhat similar growing up as, as a bishop's grandson? I don't think it is uh, because a bishop is a very uh, busy person. And uh, honestly, I think we probably saw my grandparents about three plus times a year because uh, weekends when we were free, he was often out at one church or another traveling around the state. And, um, and his responsibilities were the state of Michigan. Um, and uh, so we would be together at Thanksgiving and we'd be together at Christmas and we'd probably get together sometime during the summer with all my cousins and aunts and uncles out at my grandparents' farm in the uh, Irish Hills. And uh, so the time we were together was, was limited. It's, it's a bit different from being the, the son or daughter of a, uh, of a minister. Sure. Being a life in a fishbowl <laughs> sure, fish as it were. And, and Susan, you served as director of children and family ministries at Birmingham first for about 15 years, right? That's right. That's right. What were some of your greatest joys during that time? The whole 15 years was just a wonderful experience. Um, I was kind of a rookie. I had not been a teacher. I had not um, been to seminary. Uh, Bill Ritter was newly at, at our church and things were hopping along and there was a, a need for someone to step forward. And I had been active in um teaching school, uh, you know, Sunday school teaching, helping with vacation Bible school. We had done a lot of drama stuff, silly drama stuff um, for the last few years. I had been, um, at that point, I was on the school board in Birmingham. I had to serve a four-year term. And so I had, that was kind of, uh, but I'd also done other things in the church. I'd been UMW, UMW president, um, just whatever came up. And whenever there was, you know, 
I guess, a, a, a need, um, even though maybe I didn't feel totally qualified, I took the leap and I said, uh, Bill Ritter took a chance on a rookie and I'm glad I said yes. And I, I, I keep saying that every time I've said yes, it has stretched me. And with the Lord's help, <laughs> it's, it's worked out. But the joys, the joys of really getting to know a lot of people. Uh, the first need we needed was... Uh, we were refurbishing classrooms at that point at the church upstairs. New people were coming in with the, the new minister, as they always do. There people come and go. Um, but the joy of just working together with a team, and we had to grow our team because when I started, uh, there was a, Matt Hook was the youth uh, minister, and there were a couple of other people on staff. And Matt and I shared one staff person, a secretary. And so that was a lot of work. You couldn't get a lot done if without a team. So just getting a, learning to know the congregation better, just reaching out and saying, this is what we want to do. Anybody interested? Really pushing me out of my comfort zone. I'm sort of a sit back and let it happen kind of person. I like to be involved, but in the background, this was not a back seat position. For this sure. was uh, in the, and I had done a lot of things being in choir and so forth, but it was uh, the joys, just the relationships. And, and when I finally retired, um, it was bittersweet. We had some satisfaction in that, that we grew, you know, we, our numbers, and that was a big thing then numbers, but we as the staff grew and I had more people on my team and we'd go away to conferences and learn about possibilities that we, um, we couldn't have in our own church and just, um, and volunteers. Oh my gosh, the volunteers and the things you learn and the things you try and the things that don't work out, but people are still with you and willing to go to the next thing, um, is, I don't know. I, I feel like I gave a lot, but I feel like I received much more. I love that you mentioned the things that you try and the things that you that don't work out. I'm a big believer, like try 10 different things. And if nine of them fail miserably and one succeeds, great. You just learned a lot. Do more of that one thing, like throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's uh, and what. We were, as I said, we were in numbers and I, I had a friend who was at uh, another church and actually at a Lutheran church. And uh, we met at a conference and we were just talking about both being in Birmingham. And she said, well, you know, we Lutherans are pretty traditional. We kind of do things the same way and we don't rock the boat too much. She said, you Methodists. I said, yeah, we'll do just about anything. We'll stand on our heads <laughs> and we'll do goofy things and dress in costumes. And uh, when I got Bill Ritter to dress in uh, a 200-year-old costume and ride a horse in to celebrate Pentecost during the, I think it was the 175th anniversary, we had John Wesley riding in on a horse uh, in Birmingham. Um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of backup. That's, that's. It, it was a. Uh, it was just a really close um, working 
staff with everybody. Everybody was just having a good time. That's tremendous fun. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Even now on staff, I think, you know, one of the great strengths that we have as a church are our are, are teams, whether that's the clergy team, various staff teams, our amazing volunteers. Um, there's this sense that we are, you know, all in this together as we move forward into what God has in store. What, what advice would you give to someone, Sue, who is maybe feeling a nudge to do something that they also feel unqualified for or not experienced enough to, to pull off. Um, but, but they're either the, the church has called and asked for something, or they're feeling kind of a Holy spirit nudge to step out in some way. Um, what word of encouragement might you share with them? I would say, say yes. Um, if it's even just the flickering of a flame of something that you, that's where the best ideas come from. And that's where your passion can be used. And as I say, win or lose, you know, at least you've tried. And if you feel that strongly about something, then other people will want to be a part of that. And if you're genuine in wanting help, I mean, I always felt of myself as more of a gatherer anyway. I, I, I can do some things. I can play a little bit of piano. So I would do chapel stuff. I can do a little bit of this and that, but I really needed uh, people around me to, to do what I felt we all together could do. I always like to have a, a team around, but I'd say talk to somebody. If you feel a nudge, a, a something you want to do or an idea you have, that's where it starts. You mentioned, too, uh, Bill Ritter riding on a horse at the 175th anniversary. Um, Birmingham First is getting ready to celebrate this year its 200th anniversary. We have much to look back and celebrate. Um, but as you look forward, um, what gives you hope? What are you excited about? Um, and this is for, for either of you or both of you. What are you excited about as we look toward the future? Well, for one thing, we need to look toward the future and we need to look to young people. Uh, you do get worn out as you get older. And I was going through some old church directories back to, I don't know when the first one I was looking through, the pictorial directory, and thinking of all the people that I'd known who are no longer with us or either over the years they've moved away or found another church home or uh, simply time has taken them from us. And without new people coming in, the church would have died if they hadn't changed. And so the church was always trying new things and morphing into something a little bit different and to, what gives me hope is like seeing Rachel at her, uh, the pictures of her uh, confirmation of, of lately, last weekend, and the young people who are going into ministry, the young people who are just doing wonderful things, either through their mission projects that they've done. I think our church has done a lot of good offering opportunities to young people and Everybody wants to feel useful, to feel needed. And I think having uh, some of the younger people like yourself and, and uh, all the others who are, are, have come on board is just a, a 
wonderful hope for the future because they know how to listen. They know how to use the the podcasts and the, the, <laughs> you know all of the things that the technology that we need today to relate to people out there who aren't maybe with us yet. Mm, I love that yet. That's such a beautiful word. Yeah, yes. Yeah. We have something. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I think I think the most promising thing is the world needs us. Um, there, there are things, certainly there, there are many good things being done in, um, in a variety of venues and by a variety of groups, but the world needs our church. The world needs, um, God's grace. The world needs folks who are willing to talk to each other and believe in each other and be honest with each other and give each other grace. The world needs the kinds of things that we can do most significantly through church. And, um, you know, we've worked hard in our church in recent years and trying to identify what are the kinds of things, where do we need to connect to, who is a part of our church of the future and how can we be there for them. Um, and that's a great, that's a great exercise. It provides us some guidance on how we reach out. Um, but I think the most wonderful thing is that it is needed. It very much is needed. And if we want to be a part of making a difference, man, what a blessing. Um, and so it's, uh, um, we, we, we do get older and we get excited in seeing um, others doing maybe some of the things that we were doing in different ways, in ways that are more relevant to the world than what we would be doing today. Um, but, um, but in 200 years, a church changes a lot if it's going to live. And going forward, the church also has to change a lot because those that we reach are not the same folks that started our church 200 years ago. And um, so it it's a little humbling to some of us to think that, you know, maybe there's some changes we need to make or things we need to be open to uh, in getting there. Uh, but um, But it is important. It's uh, and and what a what a joy to be part of. So, well, and we are really called to do that. That's why we're where we are. God calls us to do for other people, and I do believe if you've got something good to offer, God will give you the skills you need and the help you need. It's happened all through my life when you just feel like there I can't do this, but then you try to be open. Sometimes you fight it and sometimes mm -hmm. you're open to it, but we really, it really is our purpose to help others and to work together. The church is one of the only, uh, I don't even know if organization is the right word, right? Organism is probably a better word, but, but the church I think is, is unique in that it exists for those who are not yet a part of it, right? The church exists for the world. Um, and yeah, we need to be constantly reaching out, constantly looking out, constantly, um, adapting. We have changed a lot in 200 years time. Um, 
and there still is change that needs to take place. And uh, that's good. That's good. What, what, what words of wisdom or advice or encouragement would you share with those who are anxious about the fact that change uh, continues to be needed? Trust. You know, just have trust and trust that God is working in the background or right in front of you, whatever it is. And I think that our the spiritual part of our lives is everybody needs it. Everybody needs something like that to hold on to. I've, it's hard for me to imagine getting through life without some kind of belief system and some kind of thing that you just have to trust. How do you see anything that's around? How do you look at the stars at night? How do you, when you really think about it, mm. how is it that we are here doing what we do, living, breathing, loving, you know, arguing, whatever we do. <laughs> <laughs> so something beyond ourselves. I think everyone needs a spark of that to be whole and healthy. So, so, so God is in our arguments too? I think he has to be, or we, we would still be together, right? <laughs> how, how many years have you been married? 45. 45. This month. This month. All right. Yeah, I think God is present in the arguments too. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily taking sides, but he's there. I think yeah. we, we have to. We have to be people of faith. We have to recognize and acknowledge that it is not us that guides our lives. Uh, we, we make a few decisions along the way and, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they're the right ones, but you know, even if they're the wrong ones, uh, God's involved. And, um, so as, as he was talking about trust, absolutely. Um, it doesn't come easy all the time. Um, and it may lead us into some uncomfortable places, but that's probably, that may, that may be an indicator that it's the right thing mm. um, because um, God didn't make us to be comfortable. Uh, John Wesley <laughs> must have spent a lot of uncomfortable moments. <laughs> Absolutely. On, on the trail uh, and uh, in his work. Um, and yet look what he accomplished. And so, um, that, that trust, that faith, even in the hard times is, is I think ultimately what, uh, solidifies, uh, our, our faith and, uh, and helps to, um, provide for us all. As we change, as we grow, as we adapt and experience those growing pains along the way, even, um, what, if anything, is, is non-negotiable? What is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Um, and then what is uh, up for change or negotiation? I think what is unchanging is God's love for us. And that's the starting point. Um, the style in which we worship or the ways in which we express ourselves um, can change and should change. We don't speak in 
uh, Elizabethan English. We don't. Um, or Aramaic. Or yeah, or Aramaic, <laughs> or or Hebrew. Um, but it's, and that's where I think you know, Bible study, or or at least going to your Bible every now and then, or just Scripture, or some wise place to to seek understanding and and experience it with other people. I think that's the biggest part about being in a church is that you've got all those other people around you who are looking for exactly the same things in their lives, maybe in a different way. Um, and so there's comfort in that, that we all kind of struggle at times. Uh, but we come back and again, you don't have to worship in the same way. Um, many wonderful different faith uh, journeys can be taken. Um, but I do think God's love for us and caring for us is what, that's, that's non-negotiable. That's something you just have to have. As I said, what is negotiable is just how we express it sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so that the, the, the message of, of God's love in Jesus Christ is, is constant, but the methods like that's all up for grabs. Right. Right. Lots of ways to, to worship some, I, you know, some people express their faith by the, the work with their hands. And that's just as valuable as the teaching in the, well, maybe I shouldn't say that, teaching in the pulpit or no, something. No, I think but, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> or singing a song that talks about Jesus' love with children or just whatever we do. Or it's just a different, or working in the garden and appreciating God's bounty and beauty. Um, sometimes painting a wall in a church that needs to be painted is a good thing to do. And that's, that's serving. Um, so, you know, many different ways to come to the same Lord and master and God of all. So scripture says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And uh, I don't think there's a hierarchy in that. I don't think that preaching in a carved Gothic pulpit is any, uh, is any higher or better than, uh, you know, giving a, a child a cold cup of water or, or bringing donations to our friends at Brightmore or Micah six or um, teaching a class or singing a song or, you know, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the transformation that's taking place inside each of us as individuals and in our shared life as church together. Anything you want to add to that, Russ? You know, I, I think, um, I think as we, as we get older, uh, our, one of our jobs is to try to avoid getting brittle. Mm. And uh, a part of that is simply to be so used to doing certain things in a particular way that we don't leave ourselves open to other means of expression, uh, to other means of worship. Uh, that doesn't mean we'll always be comfortable and quite often we won't be. Um, but, um, 
But that I think is is challenging. I've got certain ways that I'm used to singing, you know, and uh, I'm not shy about doing that. Um, but um, but I think when we leave ourselves open to others' expressions, then we potentially open ourselves up to n- new ways of experiencing God. And uh, it it may not be the most comfortable for us initially, and it may in some cases never may quite get comfortable mm-hmm. for us. But um, but God is there. Uh, God is there if we are open, and if we're not, if our brittleness doesn't close our ears and um, and close our uh, minds to what we can experience through being together, through worshiping together, through serving together, um, and and being in congregation with each other. I love the concept of, of brittleness in this context. Um, my last question would be, what, what ways can we keep from being brittle? How can we as people of faith um, remain flexible and malleable in the hands of God? I, I have to admit, I haven't practiced it as much <laughs> as I ought to, uh, but I, you know, I'll, I'll be retiring uh, in, in the not too distant future. And uh, so I will probably have to be more active about practicing and that is doing something different. Uh, doing something different every day. I, I, um, i I easily fall into certain ruts. And, um, so I, I do think particularly as I, as I get older, I just have to, uh, practice trying new things and meeting new people and, um, gaining new experiences. Uh, and, um, so um, I, I don't think that's going to make my bones any stronger, but I hope it'll keep my mind fresher and my heart more open. Well, I, on the other hand, have always enjoyed the next new thing. I always loved the first day of school. I loved um, going new places. Some of that has changed as I've gotten older and, you know, you just feel a little more vulnerable about doing things. But I find myself every time I it's a, it's become kind of a discipline for me whenever I am tempted to say, well, you know, we used to do that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of smack myself because <laughs> I said, don't think that way, because that's the beginning of the end for for changing and growing. And I have one of the joys of our church, too, is having known a lot of people there who have grown older and they've grown older gracefully. And uh, just someone you want serene. That's a that's a word that I've always loved, serenity, because I don't think that's easy. And we see the world changing around us so much and the way people talk to each other and the way that public discourse is so um, unpleasant these days. And there's um, in a lot of situations and. um, so you want to go back to the days when people were just polite. But then I say some things would never have changed if people kept agreeing and saying, oh, that's OK, and just being polite. I think sometimes we do have to be smacked 
a little bit, figuratively speaking, not physically. <laughs> sure, sure. But, um, but I consciously am trying to do that as I get older to say, just because, you know, this wasn't the way I did something doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done now a new way. So fight it. You have to fight it. You have to fight the brittleness. <laughs> well, it sounds to me like you guys are doing a pretty good job of it. And I have to say it is such a joy to be the church with both of you. Thank you for uh, your willingness to be a part of this podcast and uh, for all you've shared with us today. Oh, it was Thank a delight to be here. Thank you for having us and listening. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. That concludes this episode of Church Folks. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about Birmingham and Berkeley First on our websites, fumcbirmingham.org and berkeleyfirst.org. Take some time this week to share your story, listen to the stories of others, and look for those points of intersection with the greatest story ever told, the continually unfolding story of God's love in Jesus Christ. Peace.